Hello, my name is Art Schmone. I'm Managing Director of IWBC 2018 and a partner with Forest Economic Advisors, the producer of IWBC 2018. I'm here today with Jerry McCaughey, the CEO and Chairman of California-based Integra. Jerry is a pioneer in off-site construction. Prior to co-founding Integra, he was co-founder and CEO of Century Homes in Ireland. Jerry, welcome. Thank you, Art. I wonder if you could tell us a little more about your background and how you got into the offsite construction industry. Well, I suppose offsite has been in my family for half a century, for 50 years. My dad was a, originally a carpenter who, I suppose, learned about wood frame construction in the U.S., brought that knowledge and experience back to Ireland in the uh, late 50s, early 60s, and decided to set up a, an offsite company. Well, I decided to do wood framing of homes in Ireland back in the, in the early 60s, but Never thought, as was as being European, never thought of the idea of stick framing it on site, even though that's what he had seen when he was in the U.S. And he, he set up his first off-site company, I think, in 1963 or 1964. All my life, all I was ever exposed to was wood frame construction based in a factory. So I used to go watch my dad at work and see his business. That's all I ever knew. I never knew that uh, wood framed homes were built any other way than a factory environment. In I suppose when I went to college, I did a degree in business and specialized in, in, uh, in marketing. And during college, I, I did all my sort of research projects all on the offsite industry because that's what my dad had been involved in. And at that point in time in my life, I realized that Woodframe itself, while it was always offsite constructed in Europe, it wasn't necessarily the most common method of construction in Europe because there was a lot of masonry houses being built. And so it was an unusual topic to cover um, from from that perspective. And so I decided to do that for my projects. And part of that major thesis on the opportunities to grow an offsite con- company in the European market and actually grow it from an international perspective. Lucky enough, I, I did very well at my, I think, I think I got first in the class for that particular project. That project just went by the by after I left college and I went off to, to do other things for a, for a period of time. And my dad, who had sold out of his first a successful wood frame business, found that report and came to me one day after reading it and said to me, listen, you seemed very confident that there was a, a major business to be built in the offsite construction industry in Europe. And at this stage, I was actually living in California um, as a, a young 20-year-old having a great time. And he said, why don't you come back to Ireland and let's have a go at setting this business up? To use his actual terminology, and he said, why don't you put your money where your mouth is and have a go at this? That's exactly what I did. I, I literally packed up everything. And three months later, I was back in Ireland. And my dad and my brother and, and uh, another partner, Jim McBride, were literally <laughs> operating out of a 5,000 square foot building on the outskirts of a small town in Ireland that um, whenever it rained, the wood, which was a lot in Ireland, the, the building would flood and we'd have to go in there and, and, uh, and brush it out. Nonetheless, that business, which was called Century Homes, it started in 1990, went on. And by 2005, we had five factories in two countries, producing 8,000 houses a year and exporting as far away as Japan. We, at that point in time, were the largest off-site unit producer of wood frame buildings in Europe. And that's how I got into it. You eventually sold Century Homes, did you not? That's correct. So in 2005, we successfully sold Century Homes. So you could say that was the second time my family had successfully built and exited from a, a wood frame company. So we, we, we sold that business at what was at that point in time pretty much the peak of the building market. I, I stayed on as CEO then until 2008. And then in, in uh, 2008, I actually moved back to California, this time with my wife and, and young family. And um, 
got involved in, in at that point in time, the US housing industry was going through a major downturn. But I, I still kept my finger in the offsite industry, basically helping a lot of distressed, particularly modular companies through that major downturn in, in, in US construction. And then as the market started to turn around again, because I'd always kept my eye, I couldn't understand. One of the things that, that I suppose I could not understand for the life of me, why when there was 1.5 million homes being built in the United States, they were being stick framed. It just, even to this day, in my 55th year on the planet and living in California, I still can't understand why anybody would stick frame a building. But to me, that was the opportunity. And I kept wondering, is there an opportunity here now to bring the technology that we had developed in Europe very successfully to the U.S. market? But the U.S. market obviously was in a downturn. And then I waited till, I, till we saw that the, the market was starting to turn back up again. And I effectively then went out with my brother and partner, Brand Co. And we decided to put a team together to test and effectively also to test offsite construction and how it would be accepted in the U.S. market. That, that was the beginnings of Integra. Interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't American single-family houses typically have more architectural detail, particularly roof detail, than UK Ireland homes? I hear this art all of the time. Honestly, that's, that's not true. There may, there may be on production homes, the roofs may have a little bit more features about them and a little bit, and a little bit, a little bit maybe a slightly more complicated, but you must remember that in century and, and, in, and in Europe where all wood frame homes are built offsite. Many of those companies, including ourselves, I mean, that 8,000 houses a year that we were doing, approximately between 500 and 750 of those a year were high-end custom homes, which basically couldn't have any more complicated a roof than you could imagine or complicated a building than you could imagine. So to the extent that they may have slightly more difficult roofs, yeah, that may be true, but in many ways it, it makes absolutely zero difference because you must remember that today most of those production homes in, in, in the United States are also being trussed. They're roof trusses. So to the extent that a roof truss manufacturer can make the roof trusses for a stick frame building, he makes the same roof truss package for an offsite constructor building, or we would do the roof truss package for it because we would actually manufacture the roof trusses. So there may be a little bit in it, but if you're trying to say that that actually impinges or impedes the market from an offsite perspective, it has absolutely zero impact from that perspective. One of the other questions I, I wanted to ask, many people in the US confuse factory built with mobile home manufacturer or with cheap or low quality homes. Uh, how does fully integrated offsite construction differ? It's absolutely day and night. I mean, we're, we're, we, you know, you hear that expression, we're comparing apples and oranges. I mean, we literally are comparing apples and pineapples here. There is no relevance whatsoever to what an offsite company does and what a, a mobile home manufacturer does. It's more in comparison to what it would be like to have a car built in your front yard and have it built under factory controlled conditions. I mean, we're talking here about factories like mine. And remember, I'm, talking, I'm referring back now 15 plus years using automated production lines that back then were costing a couple of million dollars a piece that were capable of making walls which are 10 meters long, put that in, in, in imperial dimensions, over 33 feet long, plus or minus one and a half millimeters. I mean, we are talking about precision accuracy. In terms of quality, it, it is physically impossible, and I absolutely re-emphasize that, it is physically impossible for a person on a building site to get the same level of accuracy that you could get off the production lines that are being used in, in real offsite companies in Europe. So there's absolutely zero comparison. It is literally a, a completely different industry. And I, I, it's like the analogy that 
if you went out today down to your to the car dealer and you said to him, I mean, I'd like to buy a new BMW. And he said, well, I, I tell you what, Art, I'll give you two options. You can have all the parts shipped to your front yard and we'll have some guys come out in a pickup truck uh, with some welding gear and pneumatic tools and we'll assemble your BMW 3 Series there. Or I can have it made in the BMW factory in Germany and shipped to you. Which are you going to take? <laughs> You're always going to take the one out of the factory because of the accuracy and the quality and the factory control conditions that are provided in that kind of environment where you have quality control systems, ISO procedures, you have automated machinery, you have design and engineering people all on site. Believe you me, there, there is absolutely, I mean, I see today when I go out in building sites where, you know, you, you go to a, a so-called stick framed, which they'd like to say is maybe custom framed home. And there'll be three windows in the front elevation of the house. And you measure the three windows and you find that they're all supposed to be the same. And, and, and yet they're, they're three different dimensions on them. And this goes on throughout different parts of the house. Or you go into the bathroom and you'll see that the, the wall between the bath and the, the end wall should be five foot one. And you see that it actually ends up at five foot two when you run a tape. And that's physically impossible using the type of equipment that we're using. It's literally millimeter accurate. You know, the, the levels of quality and accuracy are, 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 are absolutely fundamentally different from, from anything you can achieve either that's being built by these on-site guys or being built for mobile homes. Another misconception that I think seems to be pervasive is that when people in the U.S. hear the words off-site construction, they think they're, that uh, we're referring to, you know, prefabricated trusses or wall panels. How do you respond to that? No, I mean, that's probably where the industry here has um, has suffered the most. It's, it's suffered because of the fact that people don't fully understand what off-site construction is. I mean, off-site construction in itself is more about the design and engineering of the building and thinking up front about all the systems, the processes, the quality, the on-site productivity, the logistics, but how you build a building efficiently. It's simply the modern, most logical way to build a building. If you were starting from scratch today, in other words, if stick framing didn't exist or in a building with homes didn't exist at all in terms of using wood, and you were to set out to find a way to build a home. Given the fact that we, we expect everything else, whether it's the computer that you're sitting down beside the TV you're looking at, whether it's the chairs you're on or the table you're on, we expect that every single one of those items has been manufactured in a factory. Yet many of those things are all various different colors, designs, features, shapes to them. Why would it be any different about going to build the items that are required to build the most expensive thing that a U.S. citizen is going to own, you would simply take advantage of the factory capabilities that exist and the modern technology that exists. That's my response. That's nothing about prefab. It's these, we're talking here about high-quality mass customization. We can give you anything out of a factory that can be produced on a building site, but we'll give it to you to a much higher quality. One of the challenges I imagine is uh, transportation to the assembly site. Is that a problem? And does every assembly site need a crane? Well, using the process that we use, you will all, we will always use a crane because we, we genuinely believe that the crane is not an expense. The crane is an enabler. It is part of the efficiency and part of the process in order to make that building go up as efficiently as possible. Again, because it seems relatively new in the US, people say, well, because there's a crane, it's either an expense or it's going to be difficult to get on site. In my 30 years in the industry, I've never found it to be a difficulty. In fact, it's just the normal way. It's just part of the everyday. And we've built buildings in narrow streets in old world European cities. And we've built custom homes out in the middle of the open grassland. And we've used a crane in both scenarios. 
yes, the crane is generally used and I have never seen any real difficulty with it, even in very tight sites. In terms of logistics of getting to a site, probably that, that's that's where another another area where people, I suppose, need to realize as well is that it's important that the offsite company locates its factory within an area that's in close geographic proximity to a high demand area because you, you really don't want to be delivering thousands of miles and try and compete competitively. And there is a limitation on the economic distance that you can travel and make offsite work. Hence the reason why with Century Homes, we had five factories located throughout the UK and Ireland. We had three right down the spine of Ireland and we had two in the UK, one that was in, in the northern part of, of, of England and one that was actually in, in Wales, which actually serves the London market. So it's important where the factories are located uh, in order to be able to service the, the, the customers. I've heard you mention before that 100%, I believe, of the wood frame houses in Europe are built offsite. Correct. That's correct. Stick frame a house to a European is basically to say that the last 100 years of technological development didn't happen. I mean, the iPhone, which many of us who are listening to this now have sitting in our pockets or on our desks, only was developed 10 years ago. I mean, look how far telecommunications has come in 10 years. You only have to go back and think about the the Titanic went at the early part of the century to the United States when those unfortunate people were were on that. And now you look at, you know, you went through Concord, you went through Boeing uh, Boeing 747 jumbo jet. Now you're at the A380. You know, you, you look at cars in the beginning of the century. Now you now you look at the Tesla. I mean, in every single aspect of human endeavor and human development, there has been dramatic steps forward in technological development. The unfortunate one industry, and I say this about the United States, not about Europe, the one industry in the United States that has not adapted and adopted the modern technological developments that have been created over the last 100 years is the U.S. construction industry. Yet in Europe, it's effectively the only way that a home would be built. Because, as I said, why would you ignore it? You can't. It's it's hard for a human being to, to compete with, you know, per, say precision levels of plus or a tolerance level of plus or minus one millimeter, or using machinery that can precision nail at six nails a second in a factory. The mind boggles as to why you would actually want to do it any other way. Right. I mean, a lot of people answer that by saying that uh, here in North America, we've traditionally had an abundant source of low cost labor. Of course, that's changing now. We were experiencing severe shortages of, of on-site labor. What would you have to say about the labor issue here in North America? There's two things. And the first point I think I, think I should make about the labor is some people over here misunderstand or don't understand the distinction between productivity and production. And what I mean by that is that if you take, a lot of builders here will refer to the fact in the mid-2000s or the 2006, the mid-2006, that type time frame, you know, they were building 2.1, 2.2 million homes per year. And there's a lot of patting on the back of, you know, look how great we were. And then, but people don't, don't actually say to themselves, well, what actually, how many, how many men did it take or how much manpower did it take to produce those homes? Well, when you look at U.S. housing productivity or construction productivity over the last 50 years, you will find that it has declined. The simple thing of thinking that throwing manpower at a building site, increasing more output, that somehow that was productivity or that was a cheaper way or a more efficient way to build a house is fundamentally not true. I mean, the recent McKinsey report that came out late last year shows that United States construction 
productivity has declined over 50 years, yet U.S. agricultural productivity has improved by 1,750%. Manufacturing productivity has improved by 1,400%. And again, I say U.S. construction productivity has declined. So throwing people at the problem doesn't solve the problem. Then when you look at overall construction productivity worldwide, while it in itself hasn't been tremendous or stellar in terms of its productivity increases, it nonetheless has increased. So here we have a divergence in other economies where automation and uh, factory usage has been part of the norm for increasing output from the construction industry. Their productivity has increased. And in the U.S., where it has been the exact opposite, where they've been throwing people at the product, productivity has declined. When you increase the number of people on a billing site and you decrease your productivity, there's two things that are going to happen. One, you're going to increase your costs and you're going to slow down your output. So it probably has contributed in many ways to some of that. I mean, this would be my own personal opinion. It probably contributed in some ways to the, the rising house prices, which are pricing people out of the market by the fact that people are focusing on exactly the wrong thing. So, you know, that, that may have been the case where they have had access to cheap market, but it's people f- focusing completely on the wrong place. I mean, it's hard to imagine that if you were a manufacturer of, to use that expression, you're a manufacturer of widgets and you need to increase your output from 100 widgets to 200 widgets, that your simple solution would be to go out and say, well, I'm just going to go out and throw more people at it. The first thing that anybody that runs a manufacturing position will say, well, how can I actually maximize the most output out of the people I have and add automation to the process so that I'm not actually driving up the number of people, but I'm actually driving up the amount of output that each one of those people can give. That has been the absolute opposite way that the U.S. construction industry has focused on output situation. And today we have, uh, of course, as you know, a severe shortage of skilled labor on site. Perhaps you could speak to how offsite construction is going to help remedy that problem. This is the major, major problem. This is, this is a tsunami that's coming down the line that, that in many ways people, I don't think even today, despite the publicity that it has, fully understand the implications of what's out there. And if, if you take the last 10 years of the, of the Great Recession and the fact you know, that the U.S. industry itself has ignored 100 years of technological development, has used people to try to increase its output, and now those people, because during that recession, those people and many of them who came across the border have either gone back across the border and now because of immigration policy are not coming back. New people are not coming back because of immigration policy. Those who stayed have got older and are now about to reach retirement. And the fact that most recent reports that came out said that that young Americans don't want to work on a building site. And I think the figure is at the moment that for every one new person who enters the U.S. construction industry, five people are retiring. So... If you think that there's an issue now with a labor shortage, it's absolutely nothing to what it's going to look like five, six, seven years down the road from now. And that, to me, is the great warning sign that's out there. When you think about that, for every one that comes in, five are going out. Demand for housing is actually increasing. How do you square that circle? You, you You said earlier on, Art, that traditionally up now, they've just gone out and got more people. You can't do it anymore. They're not there. The people that are there are less skilled than the people who were there. The costs of employing these people are going up. These are all things that are not good for the U.S. housing industry, and they're not good for U.S. society. We need to find a way to be able to produce homes that are economically affordable for people. Driving cost into them is not the way to do it. Jerry, can you take a moment to go off to just a slightly different topic here, but one that's certainly important to Forest Economic Advisors' clients 
Can you take a moment to talk about lumber quality? What has been your experience to date here in the U.S. with respect to the, the quality of the lumber that you've been receiving? <laughs> I have to, I, I don't, I'm going to be so careful in how I answer this art because I don't, I don't want to offend people, but I, it's a very important question. And having spent most of my life in Europe um, operating very large automated facilities, probably the single biggest shock to us starting over here was nothing to do with the rules or regulations or, or changes on building sites. It was actually to do with the quality of the lumber, or, or should I say the lack of quality in the lumber. I mean, to the point that, for example, now in, in four weeks' time, we have some pieces of German automated equipment going into our first facility here in California. We had to go to Germany ourselves and get the machine specially built to accommodate the lumber that's that's available in this market. And that's because of the lack of quality within it. You know, to the point that you also, unusual things here that, you, you know, green lumber is permitted for construction. Say, for example, we are located in California. You can't use green lumber in Britain or Ireland. It's illegal. It can't be done. We have to use everything. Everything we use has to be kiln dried below 19%. The lumber that we use in Europe is graded to such an extent that we can't put anything into a building that has weigh-in on it. There's no bark on it. The stuff we were getting here at the very beginning, we were culling 25 to 30% of the bales of timber that we were getting here first. And we thought there was something, we genuinely thought there was something wrong. And then the more we went out and examined and went on building sites, we realized that this was actually being built into people's homes. That was incredibly, and I use the word shocking because it was incredibly shocking to us that that was permitted. One, that the builders were allowed to go in, two, the framers had put it in, and three, the regulators would approve it. Because if you did that in Europe, the builder that you were supplying your offsite components to would basically tell you you're not going to supply them any more houses. The regulators would come out and say, that does not meet the spec. You're not going to use that. Or three, the problem being is when you try to put that into automated machinery, that's where you run into a major problem because the automated machinery is because you're building a precision product from that automated machinery, it pretty much requires a precision material to go into the machine. And to the extent here that the lumber is twisted, you can't really rely on the moisture content of it because some of the stuff that's actually, even that's supposed to be green is coming in already dry because it's been left out in somebody's yard, but it's been in an uncontrolled environment. So you, you get massive twisting with it to the point that the dimensional accuracy of it, yet they'll say it's within tolerance, but to us as European, it's not. We have had incredible difficulties trying to source what we would deem to be high quality or good quality material that we're happy to use and also that we know is not going to cause us problems when we're using it in automated equipment. To what extent are you willing to pay a premium for lumber that would meet the spec you need? We are paying a premium. If you're asking me as a company or as an offsite company, are we going to get dragged down to the lowest common denominator and buy the cheap stuff because everybody else is using it? The answer to that is no, we're not. Right. There is a minimum quality that we will accept. Right. And if we have to pay a little bit more for that, then we will go and we will try to prove to the market, to our customers, that there's a benefit to them in doing it. Because it's, it's also this difference art, which is very important in, in trying to break the market away from the idea of first cost. You really have to think about total cost. I mean, what's the total cost? What's your warranty cost by using that lower grade material? You may think you're saving money up front. If you're in this game for the long run, 30, 40, 50 years, believe you me, I don't believe that's the way 
to make money. I believe the way to make money is to continuously build a high quality product. That's what gets people to come back to you in the long run. And then that's what will help you to compete and help you to get a slightly higher margin for your product in the long run. So if you take a longer view of this, you win by using a higher quality product, even if you pay a little bit more for it. Do you see an opportunity here for engineered lumber products like uh, LVL, LSL? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that the market is definitely, uh, certainly you're starting to see more and more of it in every building that's going out. But I think that there's definitely a major, major opportunity for engineered wood products in, in homes. And I think, again, as the offsite industry itself continues to grow, I think that op- the opportunity for engineered wood products actually starts to grow as well. Because companies like ours demand different characteristics because we're looking at things from a different perspective. I mean, to us, if we pay a little bit more for an engineered product, but it allows us to run our production line faster, we're looking at that as being a logical reason why to pay a little bit more for the material. So I think the more the offsite industry advances and gains market share in the US, I think you'll see a direct correlation between that and the usage of engineered wood products. Now you have a, a proof of purpose plant operating now in the Bay Area Correct. of California. Uh, how are things going? Well, I can tell you as of today, I'm literally as a, a, part, a part of the reason I started, I'm, I know the listeners might know this, but I was late today was because this morning we just received an order for 300 homes from a national home builder. And they actually want to meet, we have a, we have a call with them next week to discuss a, another development that's in the same region for another 300 homes. Given the fact that our initial plant only has a capacity of 500, you can sort of see, now that's, and that's excluding the orders we already have. So tomorrow, believe it or not, I'm not naming the names, but tomorrow I'm off to see one of the largest home builders in the US who has already said to us that they would take the full capacity of our new plant, which is 3,000 units, if we were willing to give it to them. Well, I said, so far the market reaction has been absolutely amazing, astounding. But again, I think it's proof of the fact that the industry is looking for a new solution. Just because they have been accepting stick framing up to now doesn't mean that's what they wanted. It seems to me they've been waiting for somebody to come along and offer them something different that's more effective and more efficient than they've currently been using. My understanding is that you plan to build two new plants, uh, one in the Bay Area and one in, Correct. in the L.A. area. Yeah. Can you tell us more about you know what the timing will be? And- We're signing off on the, uh, on the construction of the first new building, which will be in Northern California, pretty much just 10 miles away from our existing facility. We'll be signing off for that at the end of next week. That is due to be completed by May of next year, and it will have a capacity of 3,000 units per year. So therefore, in 2019, we'll come online in Northern California with a 3,000-unit capacity plant. And then in 2020, we intend to open an identical plant in Southern California with an additional 3,000 units. By the end of 2020, hopefully, we'll have a capacity of somewhere between between six and 6,500 units per year. And then what happens after that? That remains to be seen. I mean, at the moment, we're under a lot of pressure to consider looking further afield already. And I mean, my view has been is let's look at these two plants, get them built, bedded down, operational, get the customers happy with what we're doing. And then we'll look at where we go from there. But what I can say is we will certainly be looking further afield to bring the, to bring the technology. Fantastic. Jerry, thanks so much. I want to thank you for for giving us such a deep look into fully integrated offsite construction. Many thanks to you and we wish you well. Thank you very much, Art, and to, and to your listeners. Thank you. Thank you.